Welcome to Conversations About Life, and my name is Will Jackson, and I'm glad to be here with C.R. Kirsten. Uh, C.R. Kirsten is the Executive Director at the Adult and Teen Challenge St. Louis, which is an organization that provides a residential program with Christian principles that helps people overcome drug and alcohol addiction. So thanks for taking the time, C.R. Well, you're welcome, Will. Um. Do you want to add anything else to like who you are or what sure. you do as far as just like a, as a way of an introduction? Sure. We're a, uh, well, I started with them in 1978 and I was married in 1979. My wife's also worked at Teen Challenge. So we've been here over 40 years. We even celebrated our 40th wedding anniversary. So we're going to Alaska in May. Oh, wow. So to celebrate both, you know, a dual thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, we're just a Christian residential program. Our our total cost for a year program to the client is just $450. We've never turned anybody down because they don't have it. Mm-hmm. But we the reason we, we charge it all is we feel they need to invest something in it. Mm-hmm. more than Because we used to try the free stuff and mm-hmm. you do all the work and then nah, I don't want to come in. So mm-hmm. it kind of helps for them to put something into it, but we, mm-hmm. we don't let them know that, uh, uh, that they don't have to put, uh, that they don't have to pay. They'll still come in. We, we don't let them know that unless we have to, we'll say, okay, we'll scholarship you in or something. Right. Yeah. But our main, our main focus is to reach people with the gospel of Jesus. And that's what changes people. We're a discipleship program. They have uh, six hours of class every day. We do have work. They say somebody that's been in teen challenge for a year has as much Bible knowledge as somebody that's, that's somebody that's been in teen challenge for a year has as much Bible knowledge as somebody who's been in church for 10 years, but getting it from head to heart is long distance. Hmm. Uh, Years ago, they had a success rate where our success rate was done by a couple of universities. I'm talking about 20 years ago was about 80%. I don't think it's that high anymore. Drugs are, are more difficult, harder. I think our cure rate, ours personally is around 45 to 50% from start to finish. So what do you mean by a, a cure rate? Um, the the one that was done 20 years ago was those that were drug-free. They tested them seven years later. They were still drug-free. I see. So I don't think it's that high anymore because right. it's just different. Drugs are different now. Mm-hmm. Um, the culture's different. Mm-hmm. Um, getting people to come into our program long-term is different. I mean, I, I can be sitting with empty beds like I am today. There was years ago I used to never have an empty bed and have a waiting list. It's hard to get people to commit today to a long-term program. So we're in the process of maybe making it 30 and four months and then six months. So, so something to that effect. So okay. we're trying to change it that way. We have a men's center and a women's center. Okay. Okay. okay so typically um it's been like how long i think the website's at 4 to 14 months is that right yes okay. yes it's 4 to 14 months yes and you're thinking of changing that to, to like 30 30 days to 4 months to 4 months okay. to probably 6 6 months I after see. that yeah okay um you know you mentioned like um i think it was like 45% or 40% success rate is what you think? i would say that's from start to finish yeah um and um like what do you mean, start to finish? Well, where they enter the program, then they successfully complete the year. Okay. But, but the truth is, just like Jesus still saves at the altar, so they could come in. And I've had this happen. They've come in, they've they've gotten a relationship with God, and they leave and say, "Yeah, I'm okay." And I'm like, "Yeah, right. Okay, we'll see." Sometimes they are. Sometimes they can go through the whole program, and all of a sudden they'll they'll graduate and they'll go back out and use drugs. You know, they'll, they'll relapse. And so that's all part of it. But part of it is we try to get them to have a personal relationship with Christ because that's where it's, because that's where it's at. That's where the change is going to happen. Yeah. 
So that's what we push. Right. We, we push that. So when people start, they don't necessarily like only maybe about 40% in the program. So like at some point, if they don't complete it, do they just say, well, I'm done and I want to leave and yes. then they can just, yes, that's right. That. It's a volunteer program. Even if, uh, the court system is involved, sometimes the court kind of makes them, but really you want them to get to the point that they see the need themselves. Right. Because that's the only way they're going to change. They they can't do it for anybody else. They have to do it for themselves. Right. So if they come in and say, "Well, I'm doing it for my wife and my kids and or my parents," I go, "No, nah, you have to do it for you. Yeah, you have to do it for you." Do you um, keep up with them afterwards? Like, let's say a year or yes, uh, they usually stay in touch with us usually. But our our thing is no news is good news. A lot of times if we don't hear anything, that's a good thing okay. because cause that means that they're making it and then we'll try to stay in contact with them. Um, they'll try to stay in contact with us. Like through social media is one way that we do that. Okay. Yeah. Well, do you know um, like people who success, you know, complete their time here? Do you know how many, you know, stay off of drugs? Like you mentioned like um, before, you know, Seven years later, a certain number yeah, of people those, at that time. But. Yeah, well, those were studies that were done 20 years ago. Right. And I don't think they're that accurate. I don't think they're that accurate anymore because right. of um, just the change of the culture. Yeah. I don't think so. But um, like the first guy that I worked with back in 1978, he was uh, so strung on, on angel dust and other drugs that after uh, six electrical shock treatments, the psychiatrist told his parents he'll be institutionalized the rest of his life. <laughs> and I watched God heal this guy. In fact, he was like a zombie. I used to have to carry him from room to room, couldn't hold a conversation. He completed our program. He got he got his GED. He went on to college, graduated with honors. Well, 15 years ago, I celebrated my... So this is back in 1978, 79. So... so uh, 15 years ago, I celebrated my um, 25th anniversary. He flew in from the state of Utah, and he's a principal of a school. And I've seen over like 4,000 like him in the 40 years I've been here. Yeah. So... You know, it's just it's just kind of how it is. Some people people come in they 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 want to change, right? So, but it's I guess there's not like a way to know at this point, like a few years down the road, how many are. Well, I I can't be accurate. I I can quote stuff that studies back in 1999, and right. and there it was 85 percent, and they had stats for that. Yeah, but I don't see it. Right. See, I don't see it. So, right. so unless I had some firm stats, I just know right. that we're higher than probably anybody else. Mm-hmm. Uh, for one, most programs are only like 30 day wonder programs that they go in for 30 days till insurance runs out. Well, mm-hmm. the government themselves have said any good program is a long term yeah. uh, program and they, they term it 18 months. So, so the thing is these, uh, these short programs really don't work, you know, in in a sense, because people need to be withdrawn from the environment that they were in and be taught something new. And of course, we deal with the spiritual side of it, Mm -hmm. too. And just like those that are involved in AA or or NA, um, unless they have a personal relationship with God, a lot of those people don't, they don't change. They have to come to that. Yeah. You know, they have to come to that uh, terms, you know, within their own life. Right. I was just impressed with the atmosphere here as I drove up. Well, for one thing, it's a beautiful spring day, but um, there were just young men walking past me, and they greeted me and said hi, and I asked for directions, and they were very polite and uh, seemed just seems like a peaceful atmosphere around here, which is kind of neat. 
It is. Yeah. It's a, uh, there's a lot of love here. A lot of them haven't really experienced love. Like at our women's center, for many of them, I'm the first positive male role model they've ever seen hmm. because a lot of them have been abused and other things. And so, um, it's a positive thing. We, we encourage them. Uh, uh, it's more like family. We, we, in fact, this is called the home center. Uh, the men are here for, for four months and they usually go to another center that's, uh, 10 months down at Cape Girardeau and they run about 200 guys down there. We, we run about 25 here. Okay. And our women's center is a full year program. So the women's programs are different. Then there's programs for teenagers as well, but a lot of those programs un, under 17, a lot of those programs cost anywhere from 1500 to $2,500 a month. Oh, really? Yeah, because of, well, they have to have teaching and mm -hmm. uh, right. professional people. See, we're not really professional people with the adult program. Right. Yeah. I see. So. Um, a lot of us have, um, you know, people in our uh, family or friends or just acquaintances who have a, a history with drug involvement, like our church, where, and me, I'm a part of a, a jail ministry where we visit people who want to visit at the county jail and um and many of them are in there and they have you know drugs were somewhere somehow involved in the reason why they're in the jail and then sometimes i keep up with them um if they go to prison and there's one fellow i've been have kept up with over the last few years and he's getting ready to be released from prison in may so he's excited but very nervous about that too and he's got a history in drugs and stuff but i guess the question i'm asking is um, do you have suggestions for people when they're dealing with an acquaintance, friend, or a family member who has a history with drug involvement, just things that they need to know or be aware of or anything along those lines? Yes, I, I think part of the thing is sometimes the families become, if it's a family member or a friend because you're emotionally involved, so what happens is sometimes you become an enabler. And the point is you got to know when... You know, you got to know when to hold them, know when to fold them, you know, know when to walk in, when to run. That's kind of my philosophy there. Hmm. And I and I think what happened is, is that you you become an enabler to them. And so you actually do them more harm than good. So the point is, you got to get to that point where you give them choices and you kind of, you need to cut them off. Hmm. You know, now that's hard to do because if they're using, they could end up dead somewhere. So, so what I usually tell parents, it's easy for me to tell you to how, how to deal with your son and daughter because they're not mine. Mm -hmm. But, but the point is, if you've tried everything and nothing's changed, what's, what's the definition of insanity? Doing the same thing over and over mm -hmm. and expecting different results. And there hasn't been any different results and you've bailed them out and you've poured money into them and nothing's happened. Mm -hmm. So you kind of need to, you know, there's an old saying, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make them drink. Mm -hmm. Well, you can salt the oats. That'll make the horse drink. So somehow you got to come up with some kind of salt mm -hmm. to salt their oats so that, uh, change, change is imminent, hmm. you know, and it ha an immediate yeah. and you, and you kind of, uh, you kind of do that. So, so part of it is closing one door, but then you can open another door and say, well, there's this place called teen challenge. Mm -hmm. Well, I don't like the spiritual part and I don't like rules because there are rules. Well, mm -hmm. the point is when you get to, you got to get them to that point of brokenness. And however that's, however that happens, that's what you need to do. Mm -hmm. What about someone like my friend here, who's been away from drugs for the past four years, but now he's, you know, getting into society again. So I just want to 
you know, be kind of a support to him in some way. Um, you know, do you have any thoughts about like um, someone who's has a history of drugs, but they're they're not on drugs and they want to remain that way? You know, just what are some supportive type of things? That- well, the like for a guy for people that have been in prison, a lot of times or jail, mm-hmm. they don't like to come to Teen Challenge because it feels like that because mm-hmm. we're structured. Uh, you know, we tell them when to get up, when to go to bed. And but they really want to get out and they want to get a job right away. Well, there is a ministry called Mission Gate mm-hmm. that supplies jobs and places for them to be at. And I would say contact them okay. so that they don't go back into the same environment that they were in. Okay. You know, if if they do go and they fall and they want to get off, then we're probably the place to come after that. Okay. Is Mission Gate also residential or is Yeah, they are residential. Okay. And they pay room and board. Okay. So yes, they are residential. Very, very good program really recognized in the state of Missouri. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um do you have any um do you have any uh thoughts about what the government's role should be when it comes to the drug problem in our country? Well, I think part of the thing is I think it's always better for the government to uh, uh, almost like what they do with school where each person gets to pick what college they want to go to. The government doesn't dictate what school they go to, but they give them the money to do it. And I think that would be a way that they should do it, make it more individualized and not so much throwing money in something. They, they need to give the money back to the person like they do with food stamps or well, it's called EBT cards now, or, or like they do with some of the educational, um, system, you know, where they actually give it to the person and they choose where they want to go and they just kind of monitor to make sure that they're using it for what it says. But I think they need to give it to the individual and let the individual choose. Cause there's a lot of people who can't go into drug rehab because they don't have the money. I mean, you're talking, uh, you're talking anywhere from 8,000 to $20,000 for 30 days. Well, who's got that kind of money unless you got insurance or your family's rich, mm-hmm. you know? So, uh, so the thing is, I think they should make funds available for them. Our program costs just them $450, but the true cost is it's about $1,100 a month for each person that's here. So okay. it's forty dollars a day is okay. is what we have to raise, and we and we raise it all through through donations. That's why we can offer that. Okay, so you're, what you're saying is the government right now it's providing drug treatment, but rather than being in the drug treatment um, pro, uh, business, you would say take those funds and let uh, the private the private Correct. provide the treatment and let the people kind of choose Correct. what they'd like to do. Yeah. Correct. And 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 I have a problem too with. Um, well, sometimes the drug, the drug treatment is, well, we'll give methadone. Of course, you know, what, what's the alternative? The person dies. Mm -hmm. So, so I can be judgmental with that. I just feel personally that they're trading one drug for another and like methadone, they'll have to be on the rest of their life. Well, it, it, to me personally, there needs to be something different that they can, that they can weed, weed off of. Now there are some new drugs out there that they can take and take the place of. And I'm not real from my, my program guy is more, uh, he, he knows all the drugs out there. So, so there are some things out there, mm-hmm. but the point is, is to get them off total addiction is to get them totally off of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, you mentioned, um, the gospel, like, um, that that's what changes people like, uh, how would you summarize the gospel message in just a, 
you know, a few words. I think a writer by the name of, uh, of, of Dick Foth really said it best. He said, he left his place to come to our place, to take our place, and to take us back to his place. Okay. So I think that's the gospel of, of Jesus came to set us free. Okay. You know, and that's, that, and that's the thing. In fact, one time I was in a prison and I made a statement. I used to do jail ministry too, and I used to speak. And one time I made a statement to um, a bunch of guys that were in um, Department of Corrections, about 30 or 40 of them. And I said, well, you know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And they go, yeah, yeah. And I go, it's a lie. Oh, man, you thought I was going to have a prison riot. And I said, now, wait a minute. The problem is people just read the one verse, but the verse before it says, Jesus says, if you're my disciples— you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. So just knowing truth isn't going to set you free unless you have a personal relationship with Jesus. And so that's the whole thing that we, and that we do here. It's Jesus first, man. You get a personal relationship with him. And the way our classes are written and stuff, they spend, uh, they spend about an hour and a half a day on personalized studies where they, where they have their own study carol. And, and my thing is, is they get a personal relationship with the wonderful counselor. So they don't really need us to counsel them. They just need us to point them in that way. And as they begin to pray and, and, and uh, memorize verses and everything like that, um, the change, the change happens, the deliverance happens. And so, so that's the, the meat of it. So what does a personal relationship with Jesus look like on a day-to-day basis? Here or just for me personally? Yeah, just kind of you and just basically what does it really mean how do how is that relationship take okay. place or what does it look like well the first thing you have to do of course is to accept him as your lord and savior in romans it says confess with your mouth believe in your heart you shall be saved and that's and that's when we get on the playing field um, up until then, you just hope that the Holy Spirit really ministers to somebody and brings them to it but to me a personal relationship is that is that he loves me for who I am. He's my biggest fan. There's nobody a bigger fan of me than him. And then to um, show people that that the way he feels about me, that, that I know the way he feels about me, he feels about you the same way. And that, and that you do have a future and you, and you do have abilities and he loves you and he cares about you. And he's more in your corner than anybody else. And he's pulling for you all the time. Okay. So basically it's um experiencing the love of God through Jesus based on what the Bible says about that. Yes. So that's basically what that relationship looks like. It is. Okay. It is. Yeah. Um well, what is it um well how did you first come to faith in Jesus? Well, I was a I was a kid. And I was, I accepted the Lord when I was pretty young, when I was about uh, five years old. Okay. And so I always felt a call to ministry, but not pastoral. Mm-hmm. And then, um, in, I went to college and in 1978, I graduated college in May of 78, but the, uh, probably got to teen challenge anyway. Um, I knew that God had his, his hand on me, but I kind of, I kind of fell away a little bit like most people do in college. You know, I, I, uh, I can tell people, I don't think I could be a Democrat because I smoked marijuana and I inhaled. So right there, I don't think I, I could be one. Just, just kidding. Of course, for, for my democratic friends out there. But, uh, but the thing is I was, um, I was working on my thesis in college and at, at a local radio station I was working, I got snowed in and the director of Teen Challenge 
was there. And I tell people he gave me the snow job. And that's how I ended up going to work there then in May, right after I graduated college. So, but, but really the way that the Lord has just really been instrumental in my life and just the way things have changed. It's neat to see how God works here. I tell the guys here, this is the closest that he'll be to Santa Claus to you because you're new. He's trying to reveal himself to you. Just like a couple of years ago, we, we, first of all, we get all our food donated about $150,000 worth a year feeds both centers plus two food banks. Um, we have a truck that goes out four days a week to pick up food. But one time they, uh, they didn't have ice cream for a long time. They said to my, my staff member, they said, well, we should pray for, uh, ice cream. And my staff member goes, well, you need to be specific. And I, and they go, well, what do you mean? He says, well, because if God sends it, you'll know it. And, and so there was a guy there who, who didn't even, who never accepted Jesus as a savior. And so he says to him, he says, so what flavor do you want? And he says, I want black walnut. So they prayed. Now understand, we, we hadn't had ice cream given us for a year and a half, and that was on a Friday. On a Monday, we had 30 gallons of ice cream and one gallon of black walnut. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and that, and that, that guy, he turned his life around because he couldn't believe it. And so they pray for all sorts of stuff. Now they don't get everything they pray for, mm-hmm. but it's just amazing to me how God always reveals himself to them. Like mm-hmm. I told him, this is the closest he'll be to Santa Claus. Take advantage of it. Yeah. So, and it's, is that because like later he won't be like Santa Claus because is it like that's more of a growing disciplining time? I, I, I believe so because they okay. said, see, why don't you pray? I said, well, if I pray, we'll learn discipline. <laughs> so it's better for you guys to pray, mm-hmm. you know, because he just wants to reveal himself, you know, and I used to have livestock out here too, because we sit on 12 acres at the men's center. Mm-hmm. And one time I had a kid, every kid had a pet. One kid had a snake another kid had a, well, they're all kids to me, even though they're adults. But one, one kid had a spider, you know, and a crow. And this one kid says, you know, I like to have a, a horse. And I said, really? I said, well, it just costs too money. It costs too much money to have a, you know, a, a horse. But I did the next best thing. I said, why, why don't you go pray about it? Hmm. And he went and prayed about it. The next day, a man calls me on and says, I got a horse. I'll bring him out for you. Hmm. Wow. So it's stuff like that, you know, and I've. I've got a plethora of stories I could tell like that right. where God's really yeah. uh, gave stuff and really, really revealed himself to them. Yeah. You know, from just going by your experience of God, from either reading about him or just experiencing him through the years, what, um, what is it about God, the God of the Bible that you find compelling that draws you to him? Uh, one that, one that he loves me and he gives me a purpose. And regardless, you know, I came from a long line of, of, of warriors. I mean, my mother would worry because she had nothing to worry about. And here I am in a faith based thing. So sometimes things get, you know, I tell people that this thing's run on a shoestring, but it's one that leads to heaven. Sometimes I need to really believe that myself, you know, because things get kind of, I uh, get, I get kind of tight. But, um, and so one day I was, I was, I was worrying. And when I say, when I say God talks to me, it's not audible because mm-hmm. if it was, you'd have to use ear, ear, the airwaves and all of you folks who know my problems. So I'm glad he doesn't. Mm-hmm. When I say he talks to me, it's a thought, but I know it's not my own. It either lines up with the word of God or it's just too good of a thought. I know it's not mine. You know, I just know it's his. So this one day I was worrying about something and I just kind of prayed and I, and I, and I said to him, I says, I guess I need to worry less. And he says, no, CR, you need to trust me more. Now think about that. Did my circumstances change? No, but my focus did. Mm-hmm. 
my focus did. And I think that's the thing is, is, is having him, I re, re, like I said earlier, he's in my corner. He's for me. I've seen him do, st- I've, I've seen miracles happen upon miracles happen. And he's just so, he's faithful. Hmm. And you just need to trust in, in his faithfulness. Hmm. And a lot of times people say, you know, God's never late. And I go, really? I go, I think he's late quite a bit. I said, I think God's problem is that he's worn a different timepiece, which is probably true, a different watch, different timepiece. Right. But but he just works things out. It's just, it's a faith walk. And, I, and he's right. so faithful, yeah. you know. And the thing that you can trust in the word is he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Mm-hmm. And that's the beauty of it. He's consistent. In an inconsistent world, he's consistent. Hmm. Yeah. Do you have any um, rules for life, so to speak, you know, that things that you try to keep in mind and live by? Well, I I don't really have any specific thing other than I, I read the word and I try to I try to follow that. And of course Jesus Jesus said this. He said, you know, that we need to love the Lord our God with our whole heart, strength and being, and then love our neighbor as ourself. In ministry what happens a lot of times is if I reverse those and I get more service oriented then God oriented, then I'll go through burnout. So if I catch myself going through burnout, the thing is, am I spending time with him? Probably not. I'm focusing too much on service. And when I have that right, because all God really cares about is relationship with him. And if I have that relationship with him, the circumstances will all work out. Hmm. And okay. that's, that's the main thing. And so, and so that's my thing is to be in contact with him daily. But even if I'm not, he's in contact with me. Okay. So in being in contact with him, are you referring to like um, prayer, prayer and the, the Bible, and Bible, reading thing? the Bible, sometimes listening to a Christian song, you know, he can right. come in and minister to you, right. you know? Okay. Yeah. Um, well, what's one or two of the most satisfying things that you typically experience in like your your routine or your time here, your, you know, a typical week or month or whatever, just things that um, you really just find really satisfying. When a person comes to the realization that the Lord loves them and how I can tell that is when there's a total change in their life, hmm. there's a change in their pattern, there's a change in their way of thinking. And, and one of the things I notice is like, it's kind of, um, it's kind of funny to me. Sometimes people start crying Mm-hmm. especially guys, because, you know, we, we, we don't want to cry. And they'll go, I'm crying, CR. And, and, and I was in a maximum security prison where all the inmates started crying. Same thing here. And they go, uh, you know, I'm, I'm crying. And my question to, to, to them, are you sad? Well, no, I can't explain. I says, is it like tears of refreshing? And they go, yeah, that's how it is. I go, well, that's the Holy Spirit showing you how much, how much he loves and cares you. So, so here's the thing. I get to witness that. Hmm. See, yeah. so I get to see that with my own eyes right. and I've seen people change. There's doctors and lawyers today in St. Louis that have gone through the program. Oh yeah. Yeah. And I can't really share. Uh, I can't really, it's funny because one time there was a doctor and I started sharing, I was talking to him about his drug usage and stuff and his kids were there. He goes, CR, don't, my kids don't need to know I was on <laughs> drugs. You know, you need to be, you know, more, you right. know, thinking about it, you know? So I said, okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. Now sometimes like, um, in jail ministry, I will, um, you know, meet with somebody and get talking with them. And, um, and it's like, uh, 
you know, I might think, well, if they weren't familiar with the gospel, you know, I'd have something to talk with them about, share with them the gospel of Jesus and so forth. But many times it'll be like, well, they, they feel like they know the gospel and they're a believer and everything, but yet, you know, they, they wound up, if they're in jail when I'm talking with them, and it, a lot of times it is drug involvement and so forth. So it's kind of like um, hard to know like where to go from there. Um, do they? Um, do you have any thoughts about that? Like it's um, they feel like they already got they already got it, and yet it doesn't seem to be making a difference in their life. So you know, I wonder: do they really have it, or? Um, Maybe they do, but this is just how it is sometimes, you know, for even people following Christians or so forth. I think I, I think one of the things, especially um, men in prison, if they allow it, sometimes they don't allow it. But to where you being an outsider, having a positive influence in their life, just being a friend to them. Mm -hmm. And see, and and that alone, taking an interest in somebody else. Mm -hmm. See, to me, that's that's Jesus all the way. And so I have seen people, one, and maybe I didn't share the gospel on a lot with them. It's really not up to me. It's up to the Holy Spirit to do that. Mm -hmm. And I'm just a conduit. Mm -hmm. And so, and so the thing is just having a relationship makes a difference. I, I was in one prison and the guy, it was a maximum security prison and the guy was, uh, he, he, he was a Muslim. And, but you know what? Him and I had this relationship. I don't know how, well, he, he was raised by a Pentecostal grandmother and his, and his father's a Muslim. I says, man, but he's a lifer. But I said, if you ever get out of prison, I'd like to come to Christmas at your house just to see how it is. And I said, uh, but the thing is, he is a devout Muslim. But when I was in the prison on Ramadan, he left Ramadan to come talk to me. So that says a lot to me about our relationship. In fact, one day we were discussing scripture and the Quran. I read the Quran a little bit, but I get nothing out of it. He says, cause I don't know Arabic. So whatever. Um, but we were discussing and a couple of the other inmates says, um, says to him, how come you and CR argue? And he looks at me and says, CR, we argue. And I says, no, this is how we talk. <laughs> we're not arguing. This is how we communicate. And, uh, and so, and, and so that's kind of it. I, I think a lot of times people just want a friend that somebody cares about them. And you know, most people are so willing to talk about themselves and never ask questions of the other person. Mm -hmm. And you start taking an interest in somebody else. Believe me, that, that show, if I really care for somebody, that, that's what I need to do. That's what Jesus did. Mm -hmm. He just took an interest in people. Mm -hmm. You know, I just need to take an interest in them. I don't need to be so self-absorbed that I can't take time for somebody else. And in prison, that, that's really important because some of them, their families don't come. They, right. mm -hmm. you know, their families, well, their family, you know, they wore out their families, you know? Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I, I just think having that one-on-one, -on -one, if you mm -hmm. can, is a, is a good thing. Right. You know, might start out talking by baseball, but here's what I find out. God always works himself into the conversation. Mm -hmm. You just let him do it and he'll, he'll work himself in because they'll see there's something different about, mm -hmm. about you, mm -hmm. you know? So, is there a way for volunteers to be involved with adult and teen challenge, or is it not really that type of thing? Well, I do, I do have some, but I'm limited with that. Like, I have yeah. some pastors and some people come and do some teaching. Mm -hmm. um, I've got a Presbyterian church where the women come and do scrapbooking with the okay 
girls yeah. and they and they enjoy that you know so so sometimes you know we'll do some new things sometimes i might have a project and like i've got a church that's going to come and fix some of the building help us fix some of the buildings or uh you know the um you know their construction guys and so our guys will work with them but it's really um yeah there's always there, there's always some but because we're on a structured you know we get them up at 6 a.m mm-hmm. and they don't go to bed till 10 so we're on a Mm-hmm. A structured type environment, so it's hard to uh, it's hard to break break into that. On Saturdays and Sundays, it's a little bit more relaxed. But they they can't watch TV. Mm-hmm. Um, it's monitored. You know, we pick what they want to mm-hmm. what they can watch. They can't pick it like right. sports, some Netflix, but right. you know, so so everything is is, uh, is 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 monitored. And so since we're on such a tight schedule, Monday through Friday. It's really hard, but I do have volunteers come in in the evening times doing chapel and some teachings and stuff like that. What do what do they do during the day? Well, they they start off at I'll give you the guy schedule, women's schedule is pretty similar. They start off wake up at six six fifteen is breakfast six thirty five, then they can go and get ready six forty five is devotion seven fifteen they have a group studies class, which is like love and accepting yourself, how to deal with failures, all Christian base. It's a it's adult and teen challenge curriculum that they use. Mm-hmm. And then from eight thirty to two, they have work. There's lunch in there too, but we, all our work is contained on the campus here. We, we work for a company where we do gaskets and stuff. It's piece work. Mm-hmm. So, but, but it's contained and they work like, like four hours total. And then, and then they'll have a hour of free time at two at three o'clock is this personalized studies where they go at their own pace. It's more patterned after the Christian ACE program, but it's more discipleship type classes. They go at their own pace. Then um, that's over at four thirty. Five o'clock is dinner. Mm-hmm. And then at six thirty is spiritual emphasis. And then at eight o'clock is study hall till nine fifteen. Okay. Then it's evening devotions from nine fifteen to nine thirty. Then it's lights out at ten. Okay. I see. So we it's pretty and we we don't allow smoking here either. So mm-hmm. we're a smoke free campus. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people People have said, well, at least I can smoke if I don't come. And I go, okay, well, mm-hmm. but part of that is it kind of helps with our insurance, no mm-hmm. smoking, but also too, we, we try for them to get rid of all their yeah. uh, addictions and stuff. Yeah. And I've, in times past, I had people say, see, it was hard for me to quit smoking than it was heroin. I don't think that's the case today, yeah. but that's how it was right. years ago. Well, CR, I appreciate this time to talk and, um, and it's just really it's encouraging, and I just enjoyed hearing about your own self and about what's going on here. So thank you. Well, thank you, Will.